BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, it was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Nearly two years into the pandemic, California is still under a state of emergency, and Republican state lawmakers are trying to change that. CAP Radio's Nicole Nixon has more. GOP lawmakers argue that since Los Angeles is hosting the Super Bowl this weekend and they don't expect mask rules to be enforced, the state of emergency is no longer necessary. Republicans tried to force votes on a pair of resolutions that would terminate the statewide emergency. Assemblymember Kevin Kiley authored one of them. We have done enormous, incalculable harm to our citizens, especially our kids, with restrictions that continue to this day. It is well past time that we allow our people to move on with their lives, and we can do that today. Inside the Capitol, Kylie and his GOP colleagues donned masks emblazoned with the photo of Governor Gavin Newsom and former Lakers star Magic Johnson sans masks at the NFC Championship game and asked their colleagues to bring the resolution to end the emergency up for a vote. Democrats declined. Eyes have 15, nose have 48, the motion to suspend the rules fails. In a statement, Newsom's spokesperson called the Republicans' move political theater. His office also argued the emergency order from March 2020 has helped the state to quickly distribute masks and vaccines and boost hospital capacity. For The California Report, I'm Nicole Nixon in Sacramento. With new COVID cases and hospitalizations falling fast in L.A. County, some outdoor mask restrictions may be lifted as soon as next week. In L.A., KPCC senior health reporter Jackie Fortier has the details. Now that the Omicron surge is rapidly receding, the number of people hospitalized with the disease has dropped below 2,500 for the first time since December in L.A. County. If the numbers stay that low for seven days... We anticipate being able to lift the outdoor masking requirements at outdoor mega events and childcare and schools later next week, hopefully by Wednesday. 
That's L.A. County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer. She says if community transmission also continues to fall, the county could roll back its indoor mask requirement for vaccinated people in late March. Meanwhile, the state's indoor mask mandate expires next Tuesday, but L.A. County, Pasadena, and Long Beach health departments have opted to wait until fewer people are testing positive or eight weeks after vaccines have been made available for children younger than five. Those vaccines still need to be authorized by the FDA. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. The state of California is suing electric car maker Tesla, alleging widespread racial discrimination and harassment at the company's auto plant in Fremont. KQED's Rachel Myro has more from our Silicon Valley desk. The lawsuit was filed by the Department of Fair Employment and Housing. It alleges hundreds of complaints paint a portrait of a hostile work environment where black workers were routinely confronted with racial slurs and discriminated against in job assignments, discipline, and pay. This is not the first lawsuit alleging toxic working conditions at Tesla, which also has a history of dust-ups with local and state officials over workplace issues. In a blog post, the now Austin-based company called the lawsuit unfair and counterproductive, as it focuses on alleged misconduct from between 2015 and 2019. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. Tesla employs about 36,000 people in the state, 15,000 of them at its Fremont plant. Black workers make up about 20% of Tesla's factory workforce, but there are no black executives at the company. The California Board of State and Community Corrections met yesterday to discuss programs funded by Prop 47, a ballot measure passed by California voters in 2014 that may have reduced recidivism. KQED's Alex Hall reports. In addition to reducing penalties for certain crimes, Prop 47 also funded mental health services, substance abuse treatment, and other programs. And now, agencies that receive that money are seeing the results. Stacy Riley, a research data specialist with the board, says for most of the programs that received grants, recidivism rates were below 20%. And when you compare that to recently published statewide reconviction rates of 35%, These data indicate that participants who completed the program requirements may be less likely to recidivate. The state board says it will soon begin accepting proposals for a third round of funding. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall. 
This week, our sister show, The California Report's weekly magazine, takes us to the outskirts of Oakland's Chinatown and to a place that produces thousands of handmade fortune cookies every day, each one a work of art. Izzy Bloom takes us inside the Oakland Fortune Factory to meet the mother-daughter duo connecting with their community through cookies. Alicia Wong and her mother, Jamin, have been working 20-hour days making unique cookies inspired by Lunar New Year. They're dipped in Belgian dark and Swiss white chocolate, and then they're decorated with gold pearls and sparkly red sugar crystals. That's Alicia, and she says to celebrate the Year of the Tiger, they've embellished some of their cookies with the Chinese character for Tiger. The Tiger is very special for me because it's my mother's year and the tiger really reminds me of my mom because she's a very determined, fearless woman who is very protective of her family. Jamin grew up in China, but she moved to the U.S. in 1999 and raised Alicia in Oakland. Jamin bought the business six years ago, and after Alicia graduated from college, she joined her mom in running the Oakland Fortune Factory full-time. And now, Alicia's taking it in a whole new direction, using the cookies to advocate for social justice causes, like Black Lives Matter. We had the BLM stenciled in gold on the cookie, and the insides were quotes of civil rights leaders to try to inspire discussion. And Jamin supports her daughter's activism, smiling warmly up at her as Alicia translates. She says, well, aside from trying to make money, you have to do something good for society. You have to do something good for others. Hear more of that story from the California Report magazine this weekend. Tune in on some public radio stations or download the podcast, the California Report magazine. Go. Hey, hey, hey. This Sunday, the center of America's sports universe will be SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, where the Los Angeles Rams will play the Cincinnati Bengals in Super Bowl 56. Civic leaders see the game as a way to highlight Inglewood's recent business and development achievements, from the construction of the new stadium to a soon-to-open light rail line. But many in the city of 110,000 residents, long synonymous with the African-American community, worry about gentrification and a spike in housing costs. One person who's concerned about that is Inglewood journalist and writer Erin Aubrey Kaplan. She's been thinking and writing about her hometown for decades. I met Erin at her home. Well, my concerns are that, you know, all of that development will just push the old-time residents out. I mean, people like me and my neighbors just can't afford million-dollar houses. So it'll be the same story, that the, that the rising prices will push out the old population. And so Inglewood will change. Gentrification is sort of a polite word for what I call white return. So, you know, Inglewood, of course, was heavily white, um, like many, many, many places in L.A. County, mm-hmm. up until the 1960s. And then after 1965, especially after the Watts unrest, a lot of places emptied out. There was huge white flight, black infill and Latino infill. And now there was what I call white return. So that's what I fear. 
My hope is that all these wonderful improvements will benefit the residents. But I am not seeing that right now, and I still see that old disconnect, um, that sort of, okay, this is going to help you all. This is going to be good. This is going to be great for the city. But for the residents so far, I just don't see that. You know, you certainly do, and I won't get too much into the weeds about what he has said, but you do have a mayor in this town, James mm-hmm. Butts, sure. who it seems he doesn't go an hour without talking in a very upbeat way about the stadium yes. and all the other development yeah. happening in the city. He calls it a renaissance and uses a thousand other synonyms for it. <laughs> I mean, is, is is there nothing to that argument, though? That Oh, uh, no, I mean, look, in the biggest picture, I understand that. I have been frustrated myself over the years seeing things that do not happen in black and, and brown neighborhoods. I see, you know, people struggle to get a grocery store. People struggle to get a sit-down restaurant. And I can understand why Mayor Butts would say that, and I am sympathetic to that. But I also see the same old dynamic of, you know, um, big development comes in and just sort of happens. I mean, SoFi was approved very quickly and without the normal city oversight even. So that tells you something right there. I guess in terms of just looking at this from the 30,000 foot level, Mm. when it comes to kind of the black presence in Southern California and black history, black culture, is your concern that you know, this place, a, a, a kind of a citadel of blackness yes. in, in, in the black community, mm-hmm. do you feel that it just, that, that kind of bleeds away and Inglewood becomes something else, whatever that is? Yes. The real issue is, it seems not just in the LA consciousness, but in the American consciousness, a black community by definition is not good enough. And so other people have to live here to make it good. That is, that is at the, the core of our psyche. Again, Inglewood is trying to assure residents that it's, you know, Inglewood will stay the same. I would love to believe that. Maybe Inglewood will be a brand new model and we will have all this great stuff. But I, I'm, I'm skeptical at this point. I guess really what you want to see is, hey, if changes are to come in Inglewood, I just want to make sure that they benefit the people of Inglewood. Well, sure, sure. I want, this is a really crucial moment for that, I think, in, in history. I mean, you know, we've been doing the same old, same old for a long time, and we need to do things differently, and we need to make gentrification something different and, and, and make it mean something other than displacement. We just can't do that anymore. So I am not going anywhere. I'll, you know, I'll be around to see what happens. Aaron Aubrey Kaplan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. And that is the California Report for Friday, February 11th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Katie McMurrin and Danny Bringer, with assistance from Seal Muller. Our producers are Mary Franklin Harvin and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our director of news is Vinnie Tong. Our executive editor is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day and weekend. Support for the California Report comes from Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now's the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. 
I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.